Welcome to the first episode of the FlyHalf.net podcast. FlyHalf.net is a web publication about rugby and New Zealand. Uh, thanks for checking out the podcast. Uh, this is Phil Metcalf, currently based in New York City. I have on the line with me Chris Metcalf up in Dublin, Ireland, and Jordan Clark down in Auckland, New Zealand. Hello, lads. Kia ora. Kia ora, so, we'll jump straight in. Big day for the All Blacks in Chicago last Saturday, going down 40-29 to a superb Irish team. Uh, record crowd for rugby in the USA with over 62,000 fans filling Soldier Field, home of the Chicago Bears, of course, the NFL team. Uh, Chris, you and I were fortunate enough to, to be in Chicago for the test. In your opinion, did Ireland play their best game ever? Yeah, well, first of all, what a week. Um, it was great to be in Chicago, and uh, at, at the same time as the Cubs uh, broke the hoodoo, and Ireland broke an even longer hoodoo. So the Cubs are 108 years, and Ireland 111 years. Um, <clears throat> whether it's their best performance ever or not, or not I don't know. Um, you know, Ireland have had some pretty big, uh, big results in the last uh, few years. Maybe the 09 Grand Slam might be a little bit higher in terms of what that kind of means, but. Um, the, the kind of never having beat New Zealand is definitely a big thing and it's kind of been carried around a lot so it's a big deal <clears throat> um, I think I think it's a big deal for what it means moving forward you know because um, they've kind of broken that hoodoo now and um, and uh, I think the the big thing about it was that they went the full 80 they're not a kind of 65 minute team anymore they've they went close a few times uh, 2012 and, and 13 as well and uh, I remember even as far back as 06, you know, leading at halftime on, on a few occasions. So um, yeah. to, to finally get the result for Ireland, I think it's, you know, a really, really big deal. And um, it'll it'll be interesting to see how the rest of the November series goes and, and if they can carry that momentum through into the, into the Six Nations. Yeah, I think for me, um, the best I'd seen Ireland play um, as a Kiwi supporter is that World Cup 2011 victory over Australia. Uh, Jordan, is that the the best you've ever seen Ireland kind of show up on a uh, for 80 minutes? Uh, I mean, that was a massive game for them, wasn't it? Uh, to tip Aussie over like that. Um, for me, the match that stands out in my mind is probably a, I think it was a 2007 match, uh, Six Nations versus England. Um, I only really remember it because uh, Isaac Boss, the ex, uh, I think he's a Hurricane and a Chief Man was uh, playing in that game and uh, they just they just blew England off the park there I think they, they won to the tune of about 30 points and it had it had everything you know it had sort of rumbling forward drives uh, there was an O'Gara crossfield kick and uh, Isaac Boss scored one late in the piece as well so I mean that that to me was probably the their most complete performance mm. but this one will definitely go down in folklore as probably their best game I mean they, they tipped over the ABs doesn't get much bigger than that, does it? No. Yeah, best best result. And there are some other big games too. And um, uh, England and Croke Park, what that meant historically, um, the, the 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 home of Gaelic games <clears throat> when they were when the uh, Irish uh, Rugby Union were renovating Lansdowne Road, they hosted um, in a much bigger stadium just over the river, and the Gaelic uh, Association had had a long standing hundred year old ban on what they call foreign sports being played, rugby being one of them. So that was relaxed to allow um, 
you know, uh, the rugby team and the football team to play and having God Save the Queen being sung at the site of a, a, mass, a massacre in the early part of the last century where British troops, you know, um, it's turned into this kind of bit of a the mythologized event. But, um, you know, that was kind of historic as well. So I think Jordan's right. It was it was a big game, big performance and massive result. And it's and it's definitely up there yeah. with uh, with the you know best days for Irish rugby. And, you know, uh, George will throw it at you. And, you know, the, there's a view, I think, coming out of New Zealand that the All Blacks underperformed and the Irish played their best. You know, uh, do, you, do you support that? And if so, where do you think the All Blacks underperformed? Uh, yeah, I definitely think the All Blacks weren't on their game. Um, but they were also forced uh, in that way as well. I mean, Ireland played a, a superb game. They stuck to their game plan and... Uh, put the pressure on us. I mean, we, we lost out in the contact, I'd say. We, we definitely missed Retallick and Whitelock out there um, in the clear-outs. It's not very often you see Jerome Kano getting sort of thrown about like that. Uh, there, there just wasn't much cohesion in the forwards. They seemed a bit confused, you know. Um, if you look at the line-outs as well, just didn't, didn't seem to be on the same page together, and it's, it's hard to get on top of an opposition when everyone's not on the same page. Yeah, and I'd agree. Um, I think the consensus here and from what I've been picking up back home in New Zealand is that the better team won on the day. And and I didn't really see it as the All Blacks really underperforming. I think they were targeted in, in a lot of places. So, so George mentioned the line out there. <clears throat> you could tell that the uh, that Ireland targeted the line out. It's kind of traditionally an area of strength. But with um, the ABs down to you know, world-class second rowers, uh, doing something like putting big, big Dev Tone, it's all six foot 11 of them at the front first jumper, puts a lot of pressure on your thrower to try and get it over him. And it just disrupted the kind of the, the, uh, you know, the rhythm and, and whatever that might've been built up against perhaps a slightly sh- uh, shorter gent. Um, and so I think um, for me, you know, uh, when Crotty went off as well, there was a really noticeable dip in um, just the defensive organization. And I think um, Smith will probably come to that a bit later, but I don't think Aaron Smith had his best game. Um, and it was it was noticeable as well when <clears throat> when he got the hook. The, the ABs put on three tries in a, in, in, a, in a bit of a hurry. So I think, to me, I kind of pick up where, where George's going, is that you know Ireland had to play as good as they can, and, they, and I think they did. Um, and the the ABs only needed to be off by half a percent, which you know in the back row and in, in the midfield they they seem to be, and and Ireland were able to capitalise on that. Yeah, discipline uh, enters into it as well. In my mind, we we were definitely uh, behind the eight ball with Moody off. He'll uh, he'll owe a few boxes of the finest brown champagne that Chicago had to offer, I'm sure. Uh, Aaron, yeah, like you said, he, he, he wasn't his usual south by any means, and the game definitely took a turn when TJ got involved, provided that spark. And uh, and Karen Reid didn't kick a drop goal yet again. <laughs> oh, that's, I think that's what it all boils down to, really. Still waiting. Yeah. Still waiting. Still waiting. Um, you know, the Irish managed to do so, uh, something no one else has done for 18 games for the All Blacks. Um, is there anything else? You know, we mentioned Toner up front um, and the, the height there. He stood out like an absolute giant from the stands running around the pitch. Um, uh, you know, is there anything specifically that the Irish... Um, you know, that you saw, Chris, that they, they targeted to beat this All Blacks team? Yeah, well, the first thing I did when I got back off the plane 
was uh, put the match on, and I've actually watched it again. And there's a few things that kind of stand out for me. To me, it was a very complete kind of tactical performance, and I think the coaches really have to kind of take a lot of credit for that. And and this is a coaching unit that have has really developed a reputation for for outthinking a lot of teams. So perhaps not going into it, maybe kind of like when you're playing England or South Africa, you're not going to beat them by you know trying to be more physical than them. And when you're playing Australia and New Zealand, you're not going to beat them by being more skillful than them. So you have to beat them by being smarter than them. And I and I think that they really did play to a plan. <clears throat> Some things that kind of noted out to me were on D, um, they they just didn't put any numbers into a breakdown. So they might have had a tackler in there, but there was just literally no one in the breakdown. And that, that put more numbers in the, in the defensive line. And the line speed was really impressive. And I think they defended very narrow as well, which ironically was their undoing against Argentina in the quarterfinal of the, the last World Cup. Argentina just went around them when they defended narrow. But it, uh, I saw something in the paper here that the NFL field was actually quite a bit narrower than a, uh, a standard rugby field. So it was, I think it was measured only about six, 66 metres. So they, were eight, they, kind of know, they knew that, and defending narrow was something that they weren't going to be able to you know, be kind of stung with a little bit of extra width. And I think... There was just some massive performances. Connor Murray and Henshaw were the standout players for me. Connor Murray at halfback, incredible player. And um, they tackled everything. And the other thing I really noticed was just often when you watch Ireland, you know, some days just nothing goes away. Every marginal call, every bounce of the ball. And and it was just not that on um, uh, last weekend. You know, <clears throat> there was a... a, a a box kick or a midfield bomb, I think Sexton put up, and it went uh, untouched by anybody. I think Aaron, uh, Ben Smith might have missed it, and yeah, did. you know, it miraculously just um, Connor Murray was there, and just you know, it, it went it, the the bounce of the ball went his way, and I think there was a try scores a phase or two later. Um, George picked up on on the All Black discipline, and I thought Ireland were just incredible. So only four penalties conceded the whole game, and you know. It's that's incredible. When especially when you're playing a team like the All Blacks, who put you under a lot of pressure, four penalties is incredible. I don't remember any handling errors. Uh, there might have only been one or two, and again, that's really really unusual for an Irish team. And then I kind of already mentioned a bit before as well. I think when Crotty went off, and obviously the second row being a bit down on on experience and a bit of beef, um, you know that that was that was just lucky, and and. You know, the, the last thing was just intent. Like Ireland really, really tried to score tries, and that sometimes it's it's fair to accuse Ireland of perhaps being a little bit conservative. But it's I think if you're going to beat a team like the All Blacks, you know, three or four tries is an absolute minimum. It's the bare minimum. So they really, really went out to do that, and that that was great to see. Yeah, Jordan, you you called that out in the the kind of the notes and the player ratings for on up on Fly Half. Um, the, mm-hmm. the the scoring of the tries against the All Blacks something we haven't really come up with this year come up against this year. Um, yeah, that, it's definitely the the key factor into beating the All Blacks. You need to score tries because they they've just got the attacking potential to put that many on you themselves. So, I mean, that's something I, I, don't, I haven't done the the legwork on the stats, but I feel like that's easily the most tries Ireland have scored against the All Blacks. Would that be correct? Oh, by a long shot, I think um, it was three, three or four in thirteen, and um, 
you know, we all know what happened then when they, they didn't score a, another try in the second half to put it out of sight, you know. They, they had a good start. So I think that was only three or four, and this was a five-try effort, which is just unprecedented. I mean, Ireland just don't score five tries against anyone, let alone New Zealand. Right, right. Well, it was definitely that attacking mindset. They they didn't go out to defend the lead in that second half. I think it was the, it was the 48th minute they pegged another one with uh, Zebo in the corner there, and it just showed they'd learnt the lessons, I think. They'd, that last game in 2013, they, they really spent that whole second half just trying to defend that lead. And then in Chicago, they just went, right, well, let's just stick with what's working. And uh, it definitely did. There's definitely signs of they've been there before and they knew what to do different. I think, Chris, um, you know, we were in the stands and you definitely still had the feeling at halftime of, um, when even down 30, 30 to 8, the All Blacks were at 48 minutes that Ireland was still going to lose this. I was awfully confused by those comments because um, I definitely felt like it was uh, out of our reach. But, you know, it was still at the back of your mind. And, and talk us through the, the, the background behind that. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I've been in this part of the world for a while and, and followed and supported Ireland uh, for a while now. And uh, having, having done that, uh, Ireland are... Uh, a bit of a, they're the heartbreak kings. They kind of, they put, they'll put you through the ringer. And um, uh, there's kind of a bit of a joke when the the soccer, the, the football team are playing here. If they go up one nil early in a game, how are we going to hold out for ninety minutes? It's kind of the, it's kind of the joke. You know, like the the, the kind of mentality here is a little bit like, oh god, uh, you know, we're winning. That's not right. That's not normal. <clears throat> so, I think some of that is like self protection. You know, the, the, this, it, it's entirely reasonable to, to kind of say, you know, growing up as an All Black supporter, you get used to winning all the time. And that's not what it's like for supporters of other teams in the world, you know. So um, right. the other part of it is I've kind of seen it before, you know, October, uh, sorry, November 2013, I was there in Lansdowne Road and, and that looked like an unassailable lead. It was 19-0, you know. And then, and then like I said before, it was a kind of 65, 70-minute mentality, not the depth off the bench, um, uh, you know, uh, clamming up, mentally freezing a little bit, not trying to close it out, uh, trying to defend a lead. You know, things like that I've seen before and 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 seen Ireland lose it from maybe not quite as powerful position. And I think, you know, in a way, I kind of was ne- I was nearly right. You know, the All Blacks came back within four points. Yeah. Um, and, and and I think that was the other part of it is not just our, our, Ireland just aren't just the heartbreak kings. The All Blacks are killers. And if there's any, if there's going to be a team that can turn around a 22 point swing in in 20 minutes, it's this All Black team. Yeah. And and I mean they nearly did. And um, I think as much as the um, no, the 2013 experience was a you know a scarring mental experience for for Ireland, and and they learned maybe some lessons from that. It kind of works the other way as well for the All Blacks. You know they they've they've got the the mental experience to know that um you know it's never over until it's over yeah jord how were you feeling at at um the, that 48 minute you know down 30 to 8 mark uh with the way the game was going it uh definitely felt like it was over i mean you, you can never rule this all Blacks team out like chris touched on it is they're, they're just absolute absolutely lethal from anywhere on the park and can score rapid points but the feel of the game itself just it just felt like it was Ireland's day. They they wanted it more. They they played with a a self belief that 
had been missing, I guess, from their game in previous encounters. And when a team's playing with that much passion and pride in that jersey, uh, it's it's too hard to topple. And the All Blacks, uh, they got close. Like I said, you can't rule them out, but it just wasn't enough on the day. Ireland wanted it that little bit more. Mm. It was interesting as well, the, um, the emotional intensity, I think, uh, something I really picked up on um, in watching the TV footage. You know, we, we were kind of not late in the stadium, but we were not long before the anthems and missed a bit of the warm-up. And obviously you don't see kind of the, the, the pre-match interviews or, or the kind of close-ups of, of players' faces. So we, uh, I don't know if we want to touch on the, the whole figure eight and the, and the, um, the Axel Foley tribute. Yeah, definitely. There, there, there was there was something something special happening there, which maybe we couldn't quite pick up on in the stands as well, you know. Um, and I think the All Blacks like they pride themselves on the depth, the the twenty three man team, um, and you know, there's posts out there that talk about the All Blacks could field two teams in the top five in the world, um, but maybe the All Blacks depth isn't as kind of up there as we thought. I think losing that midfield to injuries. Um, kind of had to play lock. Uh, George, how 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 do you, how much of that do you think came into it? Uh, he's just talking about our lack of depth at the moment in those certain positions, well, or it's, it's across the whole like, park. Yeah, it seems like um, typically if we lost players to injuries or you know the midfield walks off, we wouldn't really notice it. We, we've you know we talk about our impact players and kind of slotting in some of the you know eleven, fourteen, and fifteen at any one of those roles and things, and and yet it didn't really. You know, maybe this was a sign that um, there's still some work to do. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, we're definitely a bit shy in the midfield, as we've just sort of been exposed to with uh, Crotty, who at the start of the year I was still kind of sceptical about, uh, being our sort of lead midfielder in my mind now. Um, if you look at sort of who we're missing, uh, we're missing Sonny Bill Williams, uh, now Crotty injury, Charlie Natai hasn't really been given his go in the midfield yet. But then we still have Anton Leonard-Brown, Fiki Toa, Tamani Valu's had maybe three tests now, I think. Uh, I think he played the three tests against Wales. Mm -hmm. So there's a little bit of experience there. They're not absolutely fresh newbies. Uh, well, there's the untested Rico Ioani as well, who's a pretty right. exciting prospect. Yeah. But uh, if, if it was any other international team had lost the calibre of sort of those guys to injury, it would be a different story, wouldn't it? So... You, you can say our, our depth is not as good as we'd like it to be, but it's still pretty bloody good, really. Yeah, and I'd agree. I think this is just a, a freak couple of weeks. You know, um, all those players there that you mentioned would, would walk into pretty much every other international squad on, on the planet. Um, you know, uh, Leonard Brown was in the stands. Um, in Shikari, he wasn't played. And he had Fekitoa come off the bench. Um, you know, and, and it's unusual for both your starting 12 and 13 to ship game ending and potentially, uh, you know, a few weeks out kind of injuries, right. you know, that, that's, that's just not normal, you know? Um, and, and then when you think about the players who were, who were missing, um, and, and, and who have got to come back, I think the second row was the bigger problem for me. I mean, when Crotty went off, you noticed, you really noticed it with, with the defensive organization, um, but I wonder had, um, you know, had Leonard Brown been starting and, and Fikitoa was able to come on, you know, that's a starting combination and a different test. Um, you know, so, like, uh, I, don't, I don't know how big of a deal that is. 
The second row, though, I really think uh, New Zealand did miss um, the two big boys, and it will be really interesting to see what what who the side that gets picked for the, the return fixture in Dublin. Whether uh, I know, I think Retallick's back. Is White Lock due to be back as well? I'm, I'm not sure the, by then. He's back in the gym at least. Yeah. So I mean, I think I don't think we'll see that again for a little while. Um. Yeah, that is the engine room of the All Blacks sort of forward pack. The they're the sort of unsung heroes. A lot of the work they do goes unnoticed, but if you watch games closely, just how effective they are cleaning players out of the ruck, producing a good ball for Aaron Smith to fire out. Uh, yeah, we we miss them big time. Yeah. World Player of the Year Brody Retallick was missed. <laughs> Shock. <laughs> Um, be good to shift to the the coaches, particularly uh, Joe Smith. I think um, you know there's suddenly this feeling potentially in New Zealand this week of you know the NZRU let him get away. He's a pretty class act uh, in winning. Um, you know, can we can't imagine um, the Australians kind of being so humble but celebrating so well. Um, Hanson's called him one of the best coaches in the world right now, uh, and a loss to the New Zealand game. Um, you know what's what's so special about about Joe Smith, Chris? Well, he was uh, I think he was deputy principal at Taringa Boys High, so that goes some way to explain explain <laughs> uh, explain it. You know, he's come from a good place, as as both you and I uh, will know. Um, it's funny, kind of seeing New Zealanders starting to recognise him for what he is, because he has been royalty up here for a better part of five or six years now. So um, he, I think he it was. Um, was Vern Cotter at Bay of Plenty for a while and then found his way over to France where he was an assistant coach. And, and it's funny, kind of, his background is, is an unusual one. He never, he says himself, he never ever saw himself as head coach material. Um, but after a season or two with um, really, really good results at, at Claremont, uh, Leinster saw something in him and, and gave him a go over here in Ireland, where uh, ironically he took over from Michael Jagger. And then, you know, immediately was, was transformational and, and, um, and successful like Cheka won Leinster their first ever European Cup, and that was swiftly followed when uh, when uh, Schmidt joined. They won back to back 2011 and 2012 European Cups, um, and kind of became Leinster became the new kind of European superpower. Um, and the Irish squad kind of um, was transformed, having had quite a, a, a solid monster backbone after their European successes and the. In the in kind of oh uh, six and oh eight, I think it was, um, and they made made a bunch of domestic league finals as well in that time, and they were actually really really unlucky, like going down up to a point for the last minute conversion against Ospreys and things like that. Uh, they also won the Challenge Cup, which is kind of like the uh, um, it's the competition that you, if you get knocked out of the main European Cup, you, you drop down a level. But they won that and the domestic double uh, in twenty thirteen. So obviously with that kind of success, he he. Um, he was pretty swiftly targeted for the Ireland job. And, and since then as well, he, he was very kind of transformational, uh, immediately winning back-to-back Six Nations. And, and Ireland is traditionally a, a, a country that has done well in the Six Nations. They win a lot of triple crowns, but the championships always eluded them. They've always been beaten by France and England, and they've had, they've had something just mentally. So what is it about him? Um, you know, uh, he is insanely uh, detail-oriented, tactical uh he had a he had a um he had a a reputation for being very like playing a kind of you know a, a passing game he when he turned up at leinster he, he had a a very public 
goal that he wanted to make. That's the best passing team in the world, and and I think he did that. Um, he has he he complains with the Irish job. He doesn't have enough time with the players. I think he'd want to kind of treat it like a club side, so he can have them four or five days a week. And it's been on a bit of a journey, you know. Like he started out well. There was a really really big shift in the way that um, Ireland approached the game. It was suddenly very uh, very detailed. Um, but Ireland kind of stopped doing some things that we'd kind of got used to them. If you, if you watch the, the performance back there, you'll notice that um, you'll notice that the attacking game is very simple, very, very simple. So Schmidt prioritizes players who can do a very small, short you know number of tasks to an incredibly high standard. and he, and he, and he prioritizes and, and values the execution of those tasks above things that would typically be valued by a coach, the ability, you know, the game-changing player. So if you watch, uh, you know, <laughs> he kind of gets teased a little bit for um, picking winners, uh, wingers who will be able to hit a ruck and hit a ruck incredibly well 10 times out of 10 over a player who will, you know, make the 50-50 offload and, and you know, and, and a few, you know, three out of 10 times it will go to ground and give away a, mm. uh, a scrum. So he, he – he, he, when that works, it's brilliant, and and it works a lot of the time. Um, but when it doesn't work, he gets a bit of heat, and he got a bit of heat early in this year. I mean, this year's been a crazy year for the Irish team. After back-to-back um, Six Nations, um, with you know just the one result dropped in each, uh, including some big wins away, like winning away in France and Paris is a big deal. Uh, and having to score something like nine tries to guarantee the the, the championship away to Scotland, um, you know, some impressive impressive um, uh, performances. This year was kind of flat. It really, really didn't feel good. And and he was accused of you know what I said before about you know picking a winger who can hit a ruck. People were starting to get a little bit annoyed about that because you know they wanted to see an attacking, expansive kind of game. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, uh, and that was kind of coming on the back of uh, a really gutting World Cup where there was genuinely high hopes. And I, and I, you know, the feeling in Ireland at the minute after beating the All Blacks is kind of how we, how a lot of local fans were, were feeling going heading into the World Cup, you know, like a genuine kind of chance. But the performances were flat. It was a big, big performance against France with missing a lot of players. And ultimately when it got to the quarterfinal, that um, – you know the big injury toll really kind of kicked in and they were just missing one too many and and they really really should be beating a team like argentina if they want to be considered as uh, a big team so so schmidt kind of wore a lot off the back of that but then we got you know the team heads down to south africa and wins the first test with 14 men and uh, down to 13 for 10 minutes as well you know incredible result there's only a couple of teams in the world that are capable of that you know ever in history in history Um, really should have won the whole series, frankly, 3-0. Um, I think they were actually, you know, they were unlucky to win that, that series 3-0. And then this heading into November, you know, um, having to play South Africa three times in June, uh, New Zealand and Australia in, in November, people were at the end of the Six Nations, people were thinking this boy's not long for his job. So it's funny, you know, like he's, he's really highly thought of, right. but... I think it's easy to be really highly thought of when you're when you're coaching a team that's getting you the results. He's back in the good books now. Is there he is. A, um, is there Jordan? Do you think is there ever a chance that he'll come back and make his way through the ranks to the All Blacks? Oh, I certainly hope so. Uh, Steve Hansen's signed on to the next World Cup, but from there onwards, I I'd be surprised if he sticks around any longer. 
So I'd say he'll definitely be in the uh, the crosshairs of the NZRU. Um, it's spoken that you need to have experience at super rugby level before you can move on to the All Blacks coaching role, but I feel like they'd make an exception for Joe Schmidt if he turned up. I think on that, Jordy was apparently very close to taking the Highlanders' job. Um, he He's quite open here. He's a big advocate for... Um, uh, the um some of the charities for the the um his his one of i think one of his boys has, has special needs um and he's a big advocate for for the charities that look after that i think it's autism uh, sorry uh uh epilepsy and and he's receiving very the, the kids receiving very specialist care up here so the word on the street is that you know it, it was a personal decision for because schmidt's also signed on to the next world cup so um I wouldn't be surprised if we see something after the next World Cup. Perhaps maybe he'll go back and take over a franchise. And, 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 um, but I think, I think it's slightly bigger than, than um, you know, the All Blacks is a, is a big job. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if there was some kind of, you know, give it another couple of years, Joe, and, and we'll sort it out, look after your family situation first. Yeah, absolutely. He um, just seems like that kind of humble bloke that, it, it's not about the dollars or the, the euros or whatever he's getting over there. It's It was just the right call at the right time for him, I'd say. Yeah. He's, um, they made him an honorary Irish citizen. They love him. He's, uh, he's King Joe. <laughs> no, and when I say honorary, I mean, actually an Irish citizen. Like I think he skipped the queue in terms of his, um, in terms of his, uh, you know, the the amount of time that you have to serve, he's got a good eye for his um, backroom team as well. So John Plumtree, who's gone back to Highlanders, he was his first forwards coach. Uh, Simon used to be the ex Irish um, uh, blindside flank. Uh, uh, he's now taken up that role. And um, Andy Farrell, the ex England defence coach, um, found himself after, without a job after the World Cup, so he was snapped up very quickly. And I think. Uh, there was a noticeable change. His first real assignment was when Ireland were away down in South Africa, and the the change in the defensive mindset was was incredibly noticeable between the Six Nations and and that tour away. If we uh, if we look forward, um, you know, uh, where to for the All Blacks from here, Jordan? They've named a young side to play Italy. You know, Kieran Reid sitting out after his first losses as captain. Um, you know, how how are they going to look to bounce back? Do you think? Um, I feel like this team they've named was, was probably set in, in stone before the tour started. Hanson probably had a fair idea of, of, of this Italy test being the, the match to really test some of these young blokes and put them in the furnace of test match rugby. So I don't think it's a knee-jerk reaction to what happened previous week in Chicago. I think Hanson had this plan in mind. Uh, it's going to be an interesting test with Italy. Uh, if ever they had a chance to, to put a victory over the All Blacks, it's probably now against this pretty inexperienced side. It, it's a real test of uh, Sam Kane and uh, the rest of the leadership team that's involved in the match to really bring these young guys through. But it's a super exciting lineup. Uh, if you look at the guys individually, they've all had pretty good seasons, uh, Super Rugby, and uh, those that have played sort of the, in the NPC. So I'm I'm really excited about this test and uh, hopefully seen a bit of Rico Ioani and Damien McKenzie, just an open space, bit of free-running rugby, just throwing the ball around. should be good. Yeah, I agree. I think um, I I wouldn't give uh, Italy much of a hope 
frankly. Uh, they've got a great new coach, um, uh, Connor O'Shea, who, uh, ex of Harlequins, who has built up a ex Irish international who's got a great reputation. Um, but I, I fear his job is much too big. And, um, you know, the two are, uh, two Italian club sides are perennial um, 11th and 12th place finishers um, in the in the Pro 12 League. So the, the, the depth of talent's not there. Some of their better players play overseas, but um, all too long it's been um, Sergio Parise, just essentially the, the Parise show, and I think he's kind of reaching the end of his powers. So I, I, All Blacks plus forty for me. Plus forty. How about you, George? Uh, yeah, I, I, I said this could be the opportunity for Italy to to get a win, but I, I don't see it happening myself. I, I definitely think they're going to run up a bit of a cricket score. I, I think they'll put fifty on them. If it survives the first thirty minutes, game on. And Chris, what's next for Ireland? They got Canada this weekend. Uh, changed the entire starting side. Interestingly. Yeah, I think there's about six caps between the starting 15. Um, it's a, f- a full 15 change. Um, strangely, this this was the test that a lot of people were really not excited for. Um, they were having to sell uh, tickets for this in a bundle with either the Australian or the New Zealand game to try and get people to go along. And I think a lot of them have been snapped up this week, you know, the, the ones that are floating around. So there's a lot of buzz. Um, this is a great opportunity. Um, one of the things that I didn't really touch on earlier was that I think the difference between 13 and, and last week for Ireland was just depth in the squad. Schmidt threw, you know, a lot of, uh, is enforced through injury, but has had to play a lot of extra players. He's been able to bring a lot of players into the way that he likes a team to play. And this is another opportunity to do that. Um, Similar to New Zealand, he's picked players who have been on the fringes for a long time, but he might not might not have previously trusted. Who have had a lot of that kind of flair and and natural talent and willingness to throw it around. Um, so uh, uh, again, you know, the, for, for Canada, this is you know, I think they're playing Romania and Fiji. So this is their this is their uh, soldier field. Um, so you can never ever really be complacent. Um, but again, I would be really looking for a, a, a tight, um, really, really uh, good Irish performance from a really exciting young side, which is featuring, I think, something like three or four debutants and a bunch of other kids you know, playing the second and third test. Uh, Paddy Jackson at 10 is the big one for me. He was starting 10 in South Africa, uh, missed the tour, uh, the, the trip to Chicago with some personal problems. He was to kind of talk to the police about a few things. So it'll be interesting to see how he goes. And Joey Carberry's on the bench who came on to close out for, for Johnny Sexton, having been playing uh, club rugby, uh, essentially kind of the same level as he would be playing for Ponsonby or something like that a year ago. So big story for him. He's actually a Kiwi boy, moved to Ireland when he was 10 years old. So he's a good story, one to watch out for. That's great. And uh, just looking forward to uh, two Saturdays from now, we have the All Blacks Ireland rematch in uh in dublin um jordan I'll, I'll grab a prediction from you and then and then over to chris uh yeah what a what a cracker of a game it's going to be eh? um just the the build-up to the match is going to be exciting uh i don't think anyone's going to read anything into the performances over this coming weekend i i personally think the all blacks are going to bounce back and I think we'll see an exact reverse of the scores we had in Chicago. I think the All Blacks will win 40 to 29. Like cool. cool. 
Chris. Big call of the year. Hard to say, man. Like the, I tell you, the place is buzzing. I can't open my mouth without someone, uh, you know, talking about the rugby. There's the anticipation levels are high. Uh, I can't wait to go along and, and experience it. There's nothing better than Lansdowne Road at full voice, and especially when the All Blacks are in town. Um, I think the crowd is going to be on the All Blacks back. I think that actually might lead, strangely, to a little bit of extra pressure for Ireland. I uh, felt like when we were in Chicago, pressure was a little bit off because it wasn't this kind of feral home crowd. Um, but when that crowd gets going, uh, there's something that happens to that Irish team, you know, playing the big games when you get England or France there or, or the All Blacks. So I'm less sure that it'll be a blowout, but I am expecting a huge, huge, huge big performance and a, and a statement of intent from the All Blacks. So I think it'll be, it'll be fierce. I wouldn't actually be surprised if it was... Um, less of a high scoring match and more of a more of a, a fist fight um which would be disappointing but um it, it'll depend a little bit on the weather too if we get a, a, a nice clear track um we might see a few points if it's a bit wet uh i expect ireland to to sneak it there i said it <laughs> <laughs> i feel like the all blacks haven't played in any rain this whole year so that'd be very interesting was one of the Welsh tests wet? George? No? Uh, yeah, I have a feeling one of them was, but I, I couldn't tell you which one, sorry. Mm, be very interesting to see. And yeah. just a quick recap of the other games this weekend. <clears throat> uh, Argentina versus Wales. Uh, in, in Wales, uh, Jordan, what do you reckon? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's two teams who on their day can produce some some pretty damn good rugby, but... Consistent performances uh, are not their thing. Argentina, Argentina for me, I, I like the way they play. I can see them tipping them over, but it's really hard to pick at my mind. I, I want to give it to Argentina, but something tells me that Wales, Wales are going to, Wales are going to settle at home. They'll be, they'll be fine. They'll, they'll do it. Maybe twenty-seven to nineteen. Nice and Chris, same for me. Not much more to add there. I I want Argentina to do it. I just love seeing Wales getting beaten, but uh, not sure. Home, big home crowd and and the Millennium Stadium or whatever they call it now, Prin- yeah. Principality Stadium. You know, eighty odd thousand people there. Is it? It's uh, yeah. Good day out. Uh, Scotland have got Australia up there in um, I think in Edinburgh. I see Australia walking walking through that one, George. Uh, Australia starting to put uh, put a bit of momentum together. Um, I think I predicted this uh, one of those fly half articles a while back that uh, they're they're a good team. They've they've just been uh, they've had a bad environment. I think throughout this season they've had a bit of pressure on them, but uh, things are starting to click for them. They've got some very talented players. I mean they they really put Wales through the ringer last week. I, I think they're putting something together really good. Scotland, I mean they really owe them something. Uh, they've got a, uh, a bit of a grudge after the World Cup. I can see this being a big match, but I think Australia's got too much firepower and it's going to loosen up in the second half. I think Australia's going to blow them away like they did to Wales. I think uh, probably to the tune of 41-19. <laughs> well, you know, uh, Scotland have got uh, one really decent club side, um, Glasgow Warriors, um, who are... You know, seriously competitive now, and, and they make up the backbone of this of the Scottish side. Uh, I agree that I can't see 
Scotland beating Australia, but you know they're due one, and there's a bit of emotion here with that ridiculous call from Joubert, um in the in the World Cup. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised, but uh, I think if I was a betting man, I'd, I'd put my money on Australia. And then I think the big one, um, it's going to be, you know, a very interesting um, match for a number of different reasons. But England versus uh, South Africa. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Jordan? Uh, I'm, I'll be watching this one, well, I'll be following this one with interest. Uh, this is a f- big real test for Eddie Jones' squad, this England team that's supposedly the the world sort of beating champions he's making them out to be. Uh, South Africa, they've had a funny old year. They can produce some sublime rugby, but they seem to be stuck in their old ways of just playing the, the kick-chase sort of territory game. I, I can see England at home putting up some some numbers here like Eddie wants them to be playing some attacking rugby and, and I think this will be a good game for them to to spread it wide keep the, the South African forwards moving and tire them out and I, I think they'll they'll take it 35 21 can they both lose <laughs> it'll be good a zero zero draw yeah can we have a little draw I don't know Eddie Jones does my nut and uh, yeah. England are the worst team on earth when they're winning so someone needs to shut them up. Uh, I wish it was the All Blacks who could play them. Um, sure. And I'm looking forward to the Six Nations and Ireland could put some manners on them. Um, I'd love to see South Africa get up here, but, you know, England have got a lot of confidence, good players. Mm. I think Mario Toji's out for the – is that right? Is he injured? So he's a massive, massive player for them, um, for England. So, you know, pretty much everything George said, I think South Africa are in shadow of them former selves at the minute if they could really start to play like um like you know uh, the lions did and and super rugby it would be good but i don't see it happening i think they're gonna try and beat them up and it might actually be a nine six slug fest be interesting to see it'll uh if england get over the line it'll just add to the inflation of those egos i tell you if, if england <laughs> win, eddie jones is going to be more insufferable than he yeah. than he normally Oh, absolutely. Oh, wow. Well, thanks, lads, for your time. And uh, thanks to those listening for making it this far through the first podcast episode. Uh, check out flyhalf.net for more updates on the All Blacks on their northern tour as they look to bounce back against Italy from the loss to Ireland and look forward to a rematch in uh, Dublin next weekend. Um, thanks, Chris. Thanks, Jordan. And uh, enjoy the rugby this weekend, everyone. Thanks, Phil. No, no worries. Cheers, lads. Cheers, Phil.